Super Talk Mississippi media production. Did you know Toyota Brookhaven has sold more new vehicles the last two years than any other dealership in southwest Mississippi? Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. We're rolling with you right now. An entire Mississippi minute. In the Keep Mississippi beautiful studios. Well, like this show has evolved over the past year, and I've learned to listen a lot better. Today's guest wowed me with his passion and knowledge, of course, on a visit with our daughter Cecilia to the University of Georgia and their highly nationally ranked program in food science. From growing up in Mexico City to his 2013 arrival on the campus of Georgia, a professor and undergraduate coordinator at the Department of Food Science and Technology. We're going to talk it all out in a Mississippi minute. Please welcome a new friend for sure, Dr. Jose Reyes. Hey, doctor, how you doing? Very well. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for having me on your program. So let's talk about a lot of stuff. I want to talk about you growing up and your journey to becoming a doctor and professor. So take me back to growing up in your family, what it was like as a kid, what were your folks like, and did they instill this in you at a young age? I grew up in a, you know, a, a middle-class family in Mexico City. My dad was a chemical engineer, um, so you know the bread provider, and, uh, and mom will take care of us, uh, six of us. So um, I was, for the most, the, the, well, the little one, so I, I, I probably I'm the one who has the least to worry about things because my older siblings were taking care of everything that I supposedly couldn't. <laughs> um, so so it was the 70s, right? The the the, the way things were in the 70s, there was uh, we were not so concerned about safety, right? We were not concerned about uh, you know car seat belts and things like that. <laughs> And but but I do remember my perhaps some of the first uh, ideas about food. It was my dad was uh, you know always concerned about health, and and we were always worrying about cans being bulged, making sure that they were not you know they were properly canned. That there was no you know no infection or what whatsoever. So so there was a concern for food. We we ate of course fantastic food, uh, Mexican food. I mean. What can I tell you? <laughs> it's right. great. Um, but I did not grow thinking about becoming a food scientist. Actually, I really admire my dad and, and, and wanted to become a chemical engineer like he, like he was. And, I, and actually, that's the way I started my career. I went to college and did chemical engineering. But what was really the turning point is when I looked for a job. 
and at the time again was no internet right you 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 look for the ads in the newspapers and there was an engineering firm that was searching for a chemical engineer so i just showed up i didn't know what the the company did at the time and and what they did they actually were manufacturing processing plants for coca-cola for the brewing industry for the dairy industry in mexico and and uh, and the first thing when i interviewed the ceo of the company said you know we may run out of oil we may run out of so many things but we cannot run out of food right. and and chemical engineers do have the ability to apply their engineering stuff to the matter of food and and so that's why that's where where i really got introduced to the idea of of of, of food and food processing and um uh, later on, I got invited to to actually thanks to a good friend of mine. I was taking German lessons because the the, the our company was purchased by a German company, and uh, and a good friend of mine told me there was this fantastic scholarship to go and do graduate studies in the U.S. It's a it's a Fulbright program, and I didn't have time to submit my application. Again, no internet. You have to come and turn the application in person. Um, and and my friend offered to do that for me, Miguel, and 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 he 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 submitted my application. I filled it up and 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 um and and i i got the scholarship and and so i came to the u.s went to washington state university uh, a fantastic university as well uh where i i i found my advisor who was also a chemical engineer working in food processing with a department of energy funded program and uh and 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 i fell in love more and more with food and and never never left since <laughs> I love it. I love it. So you're starting to get the bug, and you get this job. How do you make it to the University of Georgia? So that, that's a long route, but but let's right take when it. I, I want the whole with, thing. I want the whole shebang. <laughs> the whole. <laughs> so l- 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 let me just step back when I landed in Washington State University. So I wanted to go as far away from Mexico as I could. So that I ca- I could actually you know get a, get a sense of get really immersed into the American culture, learn more um, uh, as much as I could. Although I did realize that actually there's a large Hispanic population also in the Columbia Valley. But anyway, that's another story. I I, I got there and started working on this project dealing with uh, vegetable blanching. And uh, when I was about to finish my master's, my, my advisor, Ras Cavalieri, who was at the time the chair of the Department of Biological Systems Engineering, invited me and told me, why don't you stay and, and do a Ph.D.? And I said, well, I wasn't sure about that. First, when, the first thing that I think, I mean, I, I don't think that's only me, but it's very scary to think that you can be a Ph.D. You all, I mean, at the beginning, you, you wonder whether you're smart enough. Right. And, uh, right. and, 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 and my advisor was a really a father in academia to me and encouraged me a lot. And I talked to a few friends and said, well, let's give it a shot. But really what turned my, my decision, because I knew that having a PhD would not allow me to go back to Mexico you know, and, and, and get a position in academia in which I would be able to do the things I can do here in the U.S. Right. So even though, I've, of course, the, 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 the academia has changed a lot since then, and, and Mexico has grown a lot, but, but I, was, I was concerned about getting the, 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 the right kind of job. Uh, but the question was, you know, who, who in this world gets given that opportunity? I mean, there are millions of people, literally, who will like the opportunity. So I, I, I thought it was immoral to reject that opportunity. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I started doing my PhD developing biosensors for the, basically trying to understand if, if you wish, for example, um, 
uh, if you're familiar with the, with the sensor that people use when they suffer from diabetes to measure the glucose in their blood, right. that's the type of biosensor that I wanted to develop and make more stable, not only for medical applications, but to apply them in the food industry. And my advisor told me, well, why don't we do biosensors? And, and, and we have no infrastructure whatsoever for that. So he, he gave me that project. And uh, so he only told me biosensors. And I started figuring out, leveraging what I knew about enzymes and foods and whatnot. So I went this route. I mean, I, I wouldn't give you a boring lecture about different kinds of biosensors, but I picked this type one. And, and my advisor, again, he was very supportive, and we put together a lab. We built all what we needed. I ended up buying stuff from Radio Shack and soldering and, and <laughs> buying enzymes. and just It was really a lot of fun. Also, many years. You know, it, 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 it took me a lot of time. My two kids were born when I was doing my PhD, and my wife told me wisely. My wife, Alma, told me, you know, you, can, you have to stop going to the lab every night and every weekend. You need to take care of the kids. <laughs> and at the time, I also, also um, uh, take, uh, you know, pursue an MBA. So I quit the MBA and devoted weekends to my family, which was uh, definitely the most important thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and, uh, and, and so, so then I, when I finished, you know, now what, right? So I started applying for jobs. And when you have two kids, a wife, and no job, uh, you basically go for whatever you get. Uh, and but I got very very lucky. I I, I interviewed in at the University of Florida at the Citrus Research and Education Center. It's a phenomenal place to work. Incredibly smart uh, and very very talented faculty uh, doing multidisciplinary research all around citrus. So we had people in plant pathology, in entomology, in microbiology, ag engineering, food processing, uh, economics, and all trying to support the the citrus industry which made sense uh, for I florida right or california yes, or florida, right right yeah that was in florida i mean it's a little bit different you know in california most of the the citrus fruit is sold in the fresh market uh, wow. as a fresh fruit mm-hmm. in florida most of the the citrus that is produced is actually turned into juice wow so so that's the, so that's why it's very important of uh, you know citrus processing um, and I was very happy there, frankly. Uh, I mean, uh, University of Florida, uh, Florida is also a, a wonderful institution. But I was always very passionate about teaching, uh, very interested in teaching. And because I was not in the main campus, I only taught one uh, graduate course every other year. And I was very involved in a professional society, trying to improve teaching methods and whatnot. Uh, and, and, and people told me, but you don't even teach undergraduates. What are you talking about? <laughs> So, so in two, yeah, in 2012, I saw this announcement, and uh, and and and, uh, and 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 he was to become the undergraduate coordinator, and we have to teach a number of courses, and I I I, that, I was super excited about it, and I jumped into the opportunity, and and when I came to Georgia, uh, I was amazed by the by by the quality of the college, by the collegiality by the desire of this program to to become better and better and and definitely by the privilege of being selected as, as, as the successor of uh, of Robert Schufelt that was uh, the, the the former undergraduate coordinator a man who is incredibly passionate about teaching and and actually he became my mentor yeah. um, I'm, I'm 49 and I still need mentors <laughs> I love it well, we're talking to Dr. Jose Reyes we are in a Mississippi minute Although he has ventured from Florida to Georgia, uh, I think it's going to be all right. 
rocking with you from the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studio. We're going to be right back. Stand by. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi beautiful right here on in a Mississippi minute. I'm Steve Azar. I am with the doctor, Dr. Jose Reyes. I love saying his name. It sounds like a song. I may write it later, but doctor, you said something interesting a little while ago. Uh, when you were working on your PhD and you talk about you're working with things, did, did it cross pollinate into the medical field? Well, it did not, or not yet. Uh, so, so there are two challenges associated, and I'm still working on that, by the way. It, it, it's a long, long-term project. Um, so when you think about biosensors, yeah, the ones I'm using, so you immobilize an enzyme on the tip of an electrode. Okay. And that enzyme accelerates a reaction, and that reaction essentially, uh, there's another reaction at the electrode that produces electrons, and that the number of electrons produced at the electrode basically is proportional to whatever you have in solution, in this case blood, for example, the amount of glucose that's in your blood is converted into the number of electrons and a current, right, that, that is converted at the electrode. Um, now, the problem with this is what we call the biological element, which is the enzyme. Uh, enzymes are proteins. And just like egg, right? They right. be nature when you cook them. I'm trying so to stay with you. Just have... FYI, I'm, I'm hanging in there. But, you know, my Mississippi mind. <laughs> I know. But listen, I'm loving it. So keep going. I, I'm not meaning to interrupt you. I just want you to know as a student, you would you would have probably called me out already like to uh, quit writing that song and listen to me. <laughs> so <laughs> so keep going because I'm, I'm, this is really interesting to me. Yeah, so, so the main challenge for these sensors to be applicable practically is that the enzymes in nature and die, essentially. So they stop functioning. And, and what I was trying to do is basically extend the operational life of these enzymes. So they're very complex molecules, very large. So, so in order for these biosensors to ever be practical on an industrial setting, you need these enzymes to last longer. So essentially, I spent the last 20 years trying to make enzymes more stable. And I have done that in different means by changing the chemistry of the enzyme, but also by applying high pressure. I'm talking about somewhere about 20,000 PSI. And in my my lab, I have a reactor that can go all the way to 100,000 PSI. So at that pressure, you're compressing water like by 20%. So. Uh, and so, so for for the past few years, yes, I've been trying to stabilize that. So until I get there, we have improvement. We have improvements of, of 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 orders of magnitude, but we are not there yet into into making a commercial device. So hopefully, knock on wood, that will be a commercial device either to the biomedical industry or to the food industry. But that's that's not an easy an easy task. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I don't I don't know about Georgia, and I imagine. It's probably a little bit like Mississippi, but where I live, diabetes is in the forefront of a prop of issue. Yes. So doctors, uh, friends of mine who who consult pharmaceutical companies and and a lot of doctors and stuff, just just watching and just going to grocery stores or Walmart or whatever, you see the obesity 
you know that mm-hmm. that is caused from you know just bad eating the wrong kind and 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 the constant intake of sugar sugar and all that so i know that your this purpose is funny it would be an amazing thing and i feel like you're on the path and it's, you're not going to be stopped you're spending 20 years I love the the fact that your patients, and I know you're working around your schedule, so you can only you're, you can't be full time researcher, but I really think that it'd be exciting. I want to keep up with you on this because it'd be exciting to see when this machine could get produced, and all of a sudden you go bingo, and how it affects so many in a positive way. I mean, the end result could be just uh, it could be huge, you know. Huge. Yeah, and now the the, the 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 glucose measurement. I mean, there is so many glucometers right now in the in the in the market. So that that problem has been resolved. I mean, the, from instrumentation point of view, from the sensor point of view, uh, and I mean, there is always room for improvement. But but it's largely you know it's it's it, it, because the enzyme glucose oxidase and other technologies that are out there are very are are, are very mature and and actually enzyme is very stable. Uh, that particular one. But but uh, but you touch on a very important problem is that is our eating habits right and it's very difficult to modify them uh, and so that there are things that the food industry can do uh, and 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 the industry has been responding in many ways to decrease the amount of calories and decrease you know use alternative sweeteners and whatnot right. for 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 food products. But really, the bulk of the challenge is on our human behavior, right. and and that's way beyond my, right. <laughs> my area <Well>. of expertise. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking to Dr. Jose Reyes, mine too. But you're right about that. It is a lifestyle getting, you know, coming out of uh, sort of the way you were raised and and changing you know, for the better, your nutritional habits. It's just a difficult thing, especially in Southern states like Georgia and Alabama, Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi, where food has always had that little extra thing that can put a few extra pounds on and maybe lead to some bad things. So you have to find balance. And I understand that. So, all right, I want to understand. So take our listeners on a common day of yours at the University of Georgia, you're, you, you, you guys remain a top five food and science program in the country. You have companies coming to you for research that they need big companies. Sort of take me through your day and also some of that when companies come to you, what they ask for. And so the research you guys can do. Sure. So, uh, well, you're right. My, my position is kind of uh, slightly different than, than, than most of my colleagues in that I have the, the I, I, I coordinate the undergraduate program, so I have to devote quite a bit of time to talking to students and, and to parents like you and, and, and students like Cecilia, prospective students that come and visit. Right. And, and, uh, and, and we just spend time explaining the program and where the program takes you. So that takes a bit of, of, of my time and also coordinating, scheduling when the classes are going to be taken. So, so that takes some of my time. But, but then, then, of course, you do the, 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 the research. And, and, and sometimes there's a misperception that the, that the researcher, that the professor who does research is, is spending you know, hours in, in the laboratory. The reality is that our students, our graduate students and, and technicians, and, and, and when we have sufficient funding, uh, postdoctoral fellows, are the ones who are in the trenches doing the research. So we are kind of research managers to mm-hmm. a great extent. And, and different faculty will spend more or less time in the lab, but the bulk of the work 
is really being done by by graduate students and technicians. So so they should they, they deserve a lot of the credit for this. So I spend more time meeting and troubleshooting things than actually uh, 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 you know uh, doing the research itself. Right. Now, uh, when it comes, so a lot of our funding, especially for the type of research that I do, uh, comes from from the federal government, from from you know the USDA mostly, uh, which is again the the food uh, 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 and uh, oh, I'm. That's all right. I'm blinking on the on hey, the. Hey, now you're the, starting to match me, so that's good. Our listeners will go, "Oh, he's a national lot like initiative for food <laughs> and agriculture." Sorry, I guess. <laughs> anyway, so yes, yes. So so from the food, so so that is where where I get a lot of my funding for this research because it's so fundamental that at some point, uh, you know, industry will not be directly interested in this. Now, industry can reach out to the university and 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 to me or any colleague and ask us to do research in different ways. One of those is 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 like just like a grant, right? They 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 write a check for mm-hmm. us to do a a research in a particular field, and and it goes basically like like if it was a federal government, but it's a private company funding. Right. Uh, if, the, if the project is, is is small, right? So then we don't have that 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 kind of. So sometimes industry can ask to run some tests in which industry. Uh, we are not doing the the research. I mean, we're not putting the the intellectual added value, but we have some infrastructure, so we can do some work for them because we have a particular piece of equipment that they don't. So they basically just hire, so to speak, the the, the equipment and a person to operate it and whatnot. Right. So that's more or less the the ways we we we, we work with the industry. That's just amazing. We're Dr. Jose Reyes. Hey, Doc. So guess what? You know, Georgia has got, you know, you guys, Athens, you have R.E.M. And I know the impact that R.E.M. made on the music world. But Mississippi's the birthplace of American music. So you get to have a little fun right now and you get to play DJ. Would you like to hear? I'm going to give you I'm going to throw you a, a, a couple of heavy hitters. Would you like to hear Elvis Presley or B.B. King? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I would go with B.B. King, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I love it. That's <laughs> fine. That's, your, that's a good decision. We're going to go that. We're in a Mississippi Minute. We are with Professor and Dr. Jose Reyes, University of Georgia. We're going to hear a little B.B. King here in a Mississippi Minute. We're rolling together, you and me, right here and from you know Keaton, Mississippi, home. beautiful studio. Hang on. I don't want the doctor at my house, baby. You just suffer the I don't want a soul, baby Hanging around my house When I'm not at home Yes, I don't want you to open the door For nobody, baby Yeah, when you're home Whether you're a rebel, a bulldog, a golden eagle, or just a sports fan, Super Talk Mississippi has got a podcast for you. For you. Sports Talk Mississippi, The Rebel Report, Thunder and Lightning, The Super Talk Eagle Hour, and The Borky Show are all now available for you. And it's all free. Free. Get them all on demand at supertalk.fm and on your smartphone. Just search for Super Talk on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I get the ball, 
Steve Azar. I'm with doctor and professor and beyond Jose Reyes, University of Georgia, food and science department, where uh, I got to meet him and it was just so fantastic that uh, I couldn't wait to interview you, doctor. I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy. I know your students are probably knocking on your door uh, right now going like, open the door. <laughs> anyway, I got to talk <laughs> no, to you. Thank you. No, it's thank fine. you for the opportunity to share with you a little bit of what we do here. Oh, I, I, I love it. Okay, so you got to talk. I know as cliche as this may be, but I've got to do it because I read something the other day and I also saw it on the news. And, and maybe you can enlighten me a little more. Peanuts. All right, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And, okay, so they they were talking about uh, taking the enzyme or whatever causes the allergic reaction out of the peanut to allow people to be able to enjoy it. And then there, was, there were like these two sides of it, like one all in and the other one really all out and debated the fact that you cannot do that. Um, have you all been involved in any of that research? And tell me why you wouldn't want that to be the case. Well, I have not been directly involved in that. I, 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 I tangentially have heard, but I'm really not familiar to give you an educated understanding of where the matter is. Um, I am not sure exactly where, 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 where that discussion is, is, is and, and the people who object, I'm not sure why they would object. Right. Uh, it's definitely, it, we're seeing uh, more documented um, uh, allergic reactions to not only to, to peanuts, but other nuts and other allergens. Uh, we're documenting better and better that uh, before we probably uh, did not know what was going on when people reacted to, right. to, to certain foods. Um, but, but I know that there are efforts in many ways. There has been tremendous efforts in the, uh, from the processing point of view to try to block the centers, what we call the epitopes, that, that, that actually cause the reaction, so cause our immune system to recognize that protein that's present in, in peanuts and, and, and think that is, a, that is, a, 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 is, is, is something uh, toxic for us, if you will. Right, right. So, so, so there have been some efforts, but it's difficult, of course, it's difficult to test with humans who suffer from allergies, right? It's not a, an easy thing to ask people, oh, you're allergic, so let's come and try it and see if you react right. <laughs> to this. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, but I, again, I, I'm not sure where the conversation is in terms, uh, if there is a genetic modification, I know there is people who are concerned about editing genes, on, right. on, on different crops or bringing genes, you know, doing transgenics. That, that's, a, that's also a, an important conversation in the scientific community um, that, that, that is taking place and continue, needs to continue. Uh, uh, but, but, yeah, I, I don't know if, I, if I'm answering your question. Yeah, you, uh, yeah no, no, you, you are answering it. I want to talk to you about something that just knocked me out was your talk about chocolate in Costa Rica. You spent a, a great deal of time, and I just got lost and got just like lost in your, in every word. Uh, it just seemed like an exciting thing that maybe your students get to go do, uh, and it just seems like you guys are really getting into that. Can you take? Can you touch on that a little bit for me? Sure. Yeah. So, so a kind of a side project that I have actually is a research project slash education uh, 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 project. Uh, is it, on, on chocolate. So. I, I, I inherited from my predecessor uh, 
a course, a first year of seminar on chocolate science. So basically, it's just one credit class in which students come and learn how chocolate is made, learn a little bit of the business or the history of chocolate and, and the importance of this industry and how actually chocolate, you know, it's, it's more than just a a, a confection. It has a lot of uh, social dimensions, historical dimensions, cultural dimension, artistic dimensions. So, so there is so much to chocolate, and and there are other universities. Uh, I think the the Ohio State University also has a seminar on chocolate or, a, or an entire class in chocolate science. So, uh, you know, I, was, I, I started teaching that, and actually, again, I became fascinated by the topic. And, and simultaneously, one of my former students who, who graduated from Florida and now is a professor in Ecuador uh, invited me to collaborate with him, and they are doing some work on, of course, we don't grow cacao in the continental U.S., perhaps a little bit in, in Homestead in Florida, further south, and, and certainly in Hawaii. But the, other, the, the rest of the climate doesn't allow to grow cacao, so you have to do research elsewhere. Ah. And so I went to Ecuador and, and learned a lot about you know, what most people don't realize is that cacao is a fermented product. I mean, chocolate comes from fermenting cocoa beans. Uh, when you harvest uh, uh, the cacao pods and you crack open them, you will see, like, look like a corn ear, but instead of having the, 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 the corn grains, what you have is a cocoa bean surrounded by a white mucilage, very gooey material, which is extremely sweet. Actually, it tastes delicious. Depending on the variety, if you were just to, to, to put one of those beans in your mouth and suck in the, 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 the flavor, mm-hmm. they can taste like cantaloupe, like an apple, like a passion fruit. What? It's, it's, it's really delicious uh, until you bite on it. If you bite on it, it's very astringent. It's kind of bitter, if you wish. But, uh, but so this uh, gooey material, when you ferment it, it allows to develop what we call flavor precursors. So these flavor precursors, when you, when you roast your cocoa beans, just like coffee after, after they have been fermented, you have to roast them, they, they develop the chocolatey flavor that, that you and I like. And so, so the interesting thing is that this fermentation process has not been standardized. So it's done spontaneously. Basically, people dump in boxes, in big boxes. That's one way of doing it, but a very common way, especially for high-quality chocolate. And they allow to ferment for two days where, where you have uh, the sugars becoming alcohol. And then for another four days where the alcohol is turning to acetic acid and other flavors, again, develop as, as, as the process uh, continues. And then uh, that's harvested, dried, roasted, and then, and then sent to the well, – actually, normally sent dried to the, to the U.S. or to Europe where chocolate is actually made. The funny thing is that in, in many in countries where, where cacao is produced, that's where the least amount of chocolate is made. And then the rest of the world, the northern countries, and, and, and also in the southern hemisphere, but the colder climate is where we start making chocolate. So basically, when you go on these, pro- they're farmers, really, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And, and it's very interesting because actually a lot of farmers are quite poor. Right, and and they're not like 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 the, the interesting thing, and, and is that a lot of these farms are very small farms, like you know maybe two three acres, very very small farms. So they need to consolidate their products to sell it, and 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 it's not easy. I mean, it's it's it's, it's actually it's kind of shocking to see how little money these these farmers make com- in comparison to the the value of chocolate. I mean, if you think about uh, the 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 
chocolate adds a tenfold value to cacao. So, so it is a very good business, by the way, if you are in, on this end. But right. if you are on the other end, there, there's still a lot of opportunity to improve the livelihood of, 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 of cacao growers, especially small ones. Right. Oh, wow. I mean, that just sounds like farming, the gamble, the hard work. Uh, you know, yes, yes. it's just the, the, the life of a farmer. It's amazing. It's, it's a true passion, you know. It, it is. It is. And, and then and then what happened is that after that, I, 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 the, the University of Georgia has and, and our college is very active in developing study abroad. And, and we had a campus in Costa Rica. Actually, we just sold that campus, but we're, we still have access to it. And we could we, we could run programs either semester long or one week long or two week long programs. So I developed this uh, Chocorica, it's called, hmm. the, the science, uh, history, and culture of chocolate. So I take students, uh, groups for less than 20 students, and we go and we first we visit a, a, a small organic farm, yeah, just, uh, what, about four acres? And then we see how they integrate different cultures, not only cacao, but other, other, other produce. And then we go and we visit the largest cacao uh, farm in Costa Rica, uh, and and then we go a little bit into the Monteverde region. We start in the north, which is called Upala. Then we go a little bit further south, where our campus was or is. And then we 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 take the students to natural preserves, so they get an idea of the ecosystems as well. We do a little zip lining. We have to have fun because we're having all these these <laughs> these visits where they have lectures and lectures in the bars, and so it's, it's it's very intense. And then after that, we go to San Jose, in which we visit a small. A chocolate factory, and then the largest chocolate factory in Costa Rica. And wow. we finish our trip visiting a Catille, which is a center for tropical agriculture, in which one they have one of the largest gene banks for cacao. And then we look at how plant uh, improvement works from different hybridization. In, they don't do any genetic modification there uh, or any transgenic. They do plant improvement by uh, conventional methodologies, hybridization and whatnot. And it's, it's really uh, very interesting for students. We visit their botanical gardens there. So when the students come back from that study abroad, they have experience. They have seen uh, you know, definitely a different country, different people, their passion for what they do, the farmers, how they do it, and how they, they – they're incredibly welcoming, and they love sharing their knowledge with students. Um, so, so, so that's inspiring to me as a, as a professor to see how much passion these individuals have to share their knowledge. Um, and so students end up knowing, uh, you know, have a very good understanding of the chocolate industry. We're rolling together, you and me, right here from Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studio. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm in a hurry, one hell of a hurry, because I know you're there. In Mississippi, beautiful, right here on In a Mississippi Minute, I'm Steve Azar. All right, Dr. Jose Reyes, you play guitar, you play piano, you play the violin. Do you ever get a chance to maybe... Take that to a stage, maybe an orchestra. Are you like a closet uh, 
uh, what do you call it, a closet musician? Yeah, well, not really. This is a funny story, but when I was in elementary school, a classmate came one day. I was probably like fourth, fifth grade. Came with his violin. He was actually the nephew of a great cellist by the name Carlos Prieto. Uh, and, and, you know, the contemporary, or a little bit younger than Pablo Casals. So very, very fine uh, uh, Mexican cellist. And, and he came to class and he played the violin. And I could, I, what can I tell you? I, 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 it, it, it did something to me. Yeah. And that, and I asked mom, mom, I want to learn how to play the violin. And 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 mom said, well, you know, you, you know, you have three guitars, one that is a concert guitar. We have two pianos. Why would you want to play the violin? We have a mandolin. And, wow. <laughs> and I just kept insisting. And I was very fortunate that when I went to try to apply for the School of Music in Mexico City, they said, well, sorry, there's too many applicants for piano, so we still have a few spots in violin. Wow. <laughs> Do you see? But, do you see the? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask you. Do you see the connection, sort of, as a human being, uh, with your your job that you do that has such passion sure. and culture, and and you as a musician? Well, yeah, there is a connection. But I, and 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 one of the things I have to tell you is that I am I don't have the talent and the even though I tried. Uh, I am a terrible performer. I know I, 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 I don't play beyond my house, and, and hopefully I play when everybody's away so that I don't hurt anybody. So I prove <laughs> that my ear is not that very good. Actually, it's pretty bad. So I tried. I tried for many years, but with very little success. So I, 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 it's, it's, it's something that I, I, I'm, I, I'm happy with this. Uh, but I do play, and when I was in college, and when I had a, a hard time understanding a problem in flow of fluids or anything, I'll just go away and mm-hmm. where nobody will hear me and will grab my violin. <laughs> and, and as I was struggling with the problem, I would play whatever notes came to my mind. And, and there, is, there is a connection. And there is also an emotional connection when you're studying, we listen to some music that you like. So we, we have, our education system has fragmented. Uh, we, we are so much in, in, into specializations. Right. That we somehow have separated, even though we try with the core curriculum and whatnot to keep integrated uh, different aspects of culture, we we can't. We just don't have time. We'll be graduating age fifty if we wanted to yeah. learn everything that we should learn, in, you know, in, in different aspects of culture. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, so you bring up an interesting but, point. My son is. Uh, it's so funny when he's editing, or he's a filmmaker, and he lives in West Hollywood now. But mm-hmm. when when he's editing, or he's or he's thinking, or writing, when he's working on screenplays or, or script or whatever, he's got the harmonica in his mouth, and so he's always sort of blowing on the harmonica and all that. Now he's learned to play piano. This Christmas, he just started playing, mm-hmm. and like he's really starting to get good. And he started sent us a song he's working on. I said, "What is happening?" You know. But he says it's such a great diversion of just having it to take a second. And he's right. You know, music does that. Music is, uh, we all have it in our lives. I mean, we rarely go a period in the day when it's not, it's not there. You know, it's in all our films. It's, we've got music as a backdrop to our entire lives. And so I get that. Absolutely. I totally get it. So. Yeah, and there is something that, that, you know, I mean, as a musician, uh, music tells us things that we cannot say with words, Right. Exactly. And even though you put lyrics to music, but there is something else. There's, there's not just poetry. You are adding the, 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 the music. But 
Something that people forget is that math is the exact same thing. They're both languages. So an equation allows you to describe the behavior of a natural phenomenon, for example, in a way that words cannot. And, and I think that, that you don't have to necessarily, I mean, I cannot play the violin in a nice way, but that doesn't prevent me from enjoying it and from appreciating it. Actually, because it's so hard for me to play it, I, I enjoy it so much more when I see somebody, when I listen to somebody performing so beautifully and impeccably. Yeah, yeah, you appreciate that. Well, and, they, and they, likewise, they appreciate what you have and have become. And I know your students have the absolute best time being taught by you. There's never a dull moment because you believe in what you're doing, and there's just an energy in your voice that I wish that I could explain that I know our listeners have. There's a humbleness, but but absolutely very knowledgeable behind every inch and every word that you speak. And I, that's why I couldn't wait to have you on the phone. And I have been fulfilled. This Mississippi Minute has come to a conclusion with the great Dr. Jose Reyes. Doctor, I can't thank you for t- taking the time. Uh, and uh, and be, be safe in Athens and in your travel abroad. And thanks again for... Uh, for all of your insight and love affair of what you do for a living. It's an awesome thing. It's inspirational. Thank you very much, Steve. You're very kind, and I really appreciate this invitation. I've never done this before, but you you made this very, very nice, and I appreciate your patience with me. (laughs) You're a pro now. It's, a, it's official. <laughs> You've survived an interview and a, you, you survived a conversation with me. And so that means you can you can talk to anybody. The game is on. <laughs> right. Blessings, my friend. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon. Thanks a lot. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. You can now follow the latest updates across the state with News Mississippi, the exclusive news partner of Super Talk Mississippi. On air, online, and now on the brand new News Mississippi app, you can select the news and weather alerts you want. Just look for News MS in the Apple App Store and on Google Play. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.